Acts 17, verses 22 to 31 reads, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives light, everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Right now, we live in a city here in New York of accomplishment. There's this phrase, if you can make it here, you can make it where? Anywhere. Um, we are also today, so I was, as I was looking into this, I googled how hard working is New York City and I saw a study that said New York, New Yorkers work longer hours than anywhere else in the country. Anywhere else in the country. Um, the average work hours was something like 41 hours, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think that includes the whole average, including part-time workers and everything, right? Uh, so we work more hours than anyone else in the, in the country. but that was in 2018. Uh, and, and we still work, we're in a city of accomplishment, right? But, but I recognize that not everyone here uh, is necessarily from New York City or is even in New York City right now. We have people joining us from all over the country, all over the world. And I have good news for you, uh, or maybe bad news. Uh, in 2023, somehow, this same study that I found that said that, that we were the hardest working people in the country, now puts us at 99th in the country. <laughs> Can you believe it? We might have to review the methodology of this study. But the point is, even for all of you who are joining from somewhere outside of the odds are you also are in a hard working place. <laughs> we have because New Yorkers moved. Regardless, we live in a culture of accomplishment. Whether you're in New York City, whether you're joining us from somewhere across the country, 
We live in a culture of accomplishment where we are rewarded for working hard and we encourage people to work hard and to do the very most that they can. We're also today, uh, and we'll be doing this more in the second service, but today is our graduate recognition Sabbath. So during second service, um, and I'm curious if we have any graduates with us here today, maybe on Zoom. Um, I'm looking in the audience and I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but today we're, we're recognizing our graduates who have also accomplished something very significant. We're, we're celebrating people today who have worked incredibly hard to get to the point where they are now. Late nights, long hours, doing whatever it takes in order to get to this point of graduation. And this is a really significant accomplishment. It's, it's an accomplishment of knowledge, right? These graduates have proven to experts in their field over the course of multiple years that they are able to do what they need to do to go out and practice in their field. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, whether you're a student or you're working or you somehow found a way to be in this city without working, regardless, you've done something special to get you to this place. What did you do? What experiences have you been through? What things have you accomplished? Whether you're in New York or zooming in from Florida or from California or from Colorado, what have you done to get to the point where you are now. There was probably some commitment in there, some perseverance, some patience, some tenacity, some courage, some grit. You probably have a vision and a direction that you've been working toward. Donald Miller, uh, an author and marketing consultant, wrote a book called Hero on a Mission, where it talks about how if if, if you view your life as a story and as though you are a hero on a mission, then you can find a degree of purpose and meaning for your life that you might not have had before. And so a lot of you are in this situation, whether you're working, whether you've graduated, whether you somehow are getting by um, where you have moved forward with a vision like a hero on a mission. Earlier this week, I actually went to a, uh, a program organized by the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. He wasn't actually there, but, but it was a motivational program. And they were all about this uh, as well, just uh, this idea that you can do anything that you set your mind to. You can create your realities, create your possibilities. And so you are here right now because in some way or another, you have done this in your life to get you to this point where you are right now. And you're also here in church at this moment. You're coming here, listening on Zoom or physically here, coming with all of these experiences that you've had over the years that have brought you to this point, and now you're here in church. And you might be ready to bring that same tenacity, that same commitment, that same courage and grit and sense of mission to your experience here right now. It can, be, it can be easy to just bring it all in and think that the situation we're in 
here in church is the same. And that the thing that matters most, just like in a job, getting things done for your boss, or in school, getting things done for your professor, that the thing that matters most right here is getting things done for God, what you do for God. And what I want to tell, tell you today is that your experiences with work, school, life on the streets, whatever it is, it is an asset to your spiritual life, but maybe not in the way that you first think. See, the skills and the character that you've developed to get to this point will do nothing for you in your relationship with Christ if you try to use them to get right with God yourself. If you try to use them to, to prove yourself to God, just like you might to a boss or a, to, to a professor. But here's how they can help. They can help by giving you empathy for the kind of intentionality and seriousness with which God approaches his relationship with you. They can help you relate to God and put your heart at ease when you worry about whether or not you are enough for God. See, if you try to use the skills that brought you to this point to gain favor with God, you'll encounter some malfunctions in your faith. But if you use what you know to relate to God and to realize that God is working as hard or even harder than you've ever worked to get to this point, and that God is doing that in order to come into a reconciled and loving relationship with you, then you will be closer to knowing the true God than you ever were before. Let's look at the text again to dig into this. Verses 22 and 23 of Acts 17 say, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. As I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. At Columbia University, at the front of St. Paul's Chapel, the chapel on the campus of the school, at, at the very front across the top, just right here, if, if you were in there right now, there are the words, Whom ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto thee. It's taken exactly from Acts 17, verse 23. Whom you ignorantly worship, or whom you worship without knowing, him declare I unto thee. The first, the first malfunction, if you try to bring the skills and the dedication and the grit that brought you to where you are now at, into your faith as an example of how you ought to behave in your faith, the first malfunction that you'll encounter will be triggered by this verse right here. It says you are ignorant. You don't know what you need to know. And if you're in this situation where you are trying to prove yourself to God, and you, are and you believe that your value, your worth in this relationship depends on what you can do for God, then when you read those words, you are ignorant, you are going to get scared. You are going to realize, I need to study harder. I need to search high and low. My heart, my behavior, this environment around me, the 
all the knowledge I can get my hands on. I need to search. I need to keep track of my prayer requests to see what God has answered. I need to do whatever I can in order to find out clues about who God is so that I have the right answer. There's another malfunction that you'll come across as we keep on going through this text. In verse 24 and 25 of Acts 17, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by human hands. And he isn't served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And this will trigger the second malfunction of your faith. If you come to your faith believing that you need to bring all of what you've done in the past, all of your skills and grit and determination into proving yourself for God, like you would for a boss or a professor. If you bring that in, then when you read these verses, that he is not served by human hands, that he doesn't need anything, then that is going to be a problem for you. Because it, what it's saying is you have nothing to contribute. And if, you are, if, if, if your faith depends on this idea that you are contributing something, then you are going to, to, to fall into the trap of thinking you need to work harder than anyone else. Because yeah, maybe this text is written to the masses, but maybe you can be in that top 1%, that, that remnant group that proves itself to God. And so you're going to fall into this, this trap of trying to do and achieve and prove yourself over and over again more than anybody else if you believe that the story of God is about what you do for God. There's another malfunction that you're going to run into in verses 26, and, 26 to 28. They read, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And this beautiful text that, that gives such a beautiful message, if you are coming to it with this idea that your skills and your determination are what the gospel is all about, then you are going to get nervous about how close God is described as being to you in this text. God is very close. And if it depends on you proving yourself, then being close is going to cause you to hide things. You are going to feel like the flaws in your life the problems that you have, that you are currently processing, is something that you will never be able to work through. Because even in your secret moments, even in your quiet times, God is there with you. And that is going to be a nerve-wracking situation. There's no rest for the weary in this case. There's no downtime if you're going to be a good Christian. And so that's the third malfunction that we run into. And there's one last malfunction that we run into if we bring all of the things, all of the good things 
that have caused us to succeed and get to the point where we are right now into our faith as an example of what we ought to be doing in our faith. This fourth malfunction is in verses 29 to 31. It says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given everyone proof of this by raising him from the dead. And this fourth malfunction may be obvious, but this idea that God is going to judge you. If you believe that you need to prove yourself to God, this is going to cause you to really cross your fingers, to really get nervous, and to try to get everything just right. A few years ago, I was talking with some of my longtime Adventist friends who I went to college with. They're still some of my closest friends. And they've been going through a process of figuring out their faith, just like all of us are. And one of them was, was going to therapy and was, was talking with a therapist. And, and they were just really struggling with this idea of not being good enough, of doing things wrong, of the, the judgment that they were going to face. And as they were describing the situation to their therapist, the therapist pointed out something, something really fascinating that I had never heard of, heard of up to that point. The therapist suggested that they might be going through something called moral scrupulosity, also known as moral OCD. It's a form of OCD, a legitimate form of OCD, where this fear of doing something that might be judged by yourself or by society or by God as wrong is the worst thing in the world. And so everything you do, every moment of your life is spent trying not to be a bad person, trying not to do a bad thing. And so often, those of us who are the most good, right, the most committed to doing the right things, can struggle with this very feeling and can, can go into this behavior, can be motivated, motivated by this, because we believe firmly that if we don't, we are in trouble, that judgment is coming for us and it is going to be bad. And so, right now, we could be here in this situation, always searching for the right answer, trying to be in the top 1% to prove ourselves, hiding every one of our flaws, and being plagued by moral OCD. And in this situation, graduation, or a promotion at work, or whatever positive thing we're going through right now is only a positive blip on an otherwise discouraging, overwhelming, painful experience of life with God. These are the malfunctions we face when we try to bring the work ethic and the skills and all of the virtues, the good things that brought us to this point of achievement and success today, if we try to bring those into our faith as an example of how we ought to behave in our faith and in our life with God. But there is this alternative. 
Instead of using these things as instructions for what you need to do, you can use, and this is beautiful to me, you can use the skills, the hard work, the memories, the dedication, everything that you've done over the course of your life that has brought you to this point of success today, and you can use those to empathize with what God is doing for you, what God is doing on your behalf. The Athenians that Paul was speaking to at the time were maybe in a similar situation as we are in New York. Athens was known as this cultural center of the world, and it was this place that people were just very excited about exploring new ideas and, and proud to be an Athenian. But it was also maybe in a state of, of decline, um, and yet they were hanging on to this label of the, the greatest city in the world. I, um, on Instagram, I follow this account called Overheard New York. And you see these beautiful things on there. Uh, just funny quotes that people are saying all across the city. And I recently saw one post where, uh, so, where a person overheard two other people talking, and one of them said, I think if I grew up here, I would think I was better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> And then their friend responded, I've only been here for a few months, and I already think I'm better than everyone else. <laughs> Athens was in a similar situation. It, it is said that in Athens, you could find an idol more easily than you could find a person. This self-reliant mindset, this idea of being the best, of being the greatest, had entered into Athenian faith and spirituality and religion, and they had be, become so devout in this, in proving themselves to their gods, that they had even built an idol to an unknown god just to cover all their bases. They were going to be that 1% that was achieving what everyone else couldn't achieve. And thinking that the story of God is about what you do for God leads you also into ridiculous things like that. I think we can be, we can all be like that sometimes, right? We know the difference between doing something to earn God's favor and doing something because we're motivated by love. We, we know that theologically. But do you sometimes do the right thing just in case? It's not really for the right motives. It might not even be the best thing for that circumstance. But it's the right thing. And you think maybe God is actually a stickler. So I better do it just in case. I've uh, been re-watching for the second time The Office. It's a workplace sitcom, if you're not familiar with it. And the, the boss, Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, says in, in one of these episodes, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little-stitious. <laughs> Maybe you also are just a little-stitious. Maybe you cover your bases just in case. God isn't all that gracious. Maybe you build little idols to the unknown God in the name of devotion and piety. After all, you're in the greatest city in the world, and so you need to be the greatest Christian in the world too, right? When you start to approach your faith the same way you approach school or your job, you'll start to see God as your professor always grading you, or as your boss always evaluating you. 
And that causes us to do these sorts of silly things that don't actually flow from or contribute to a loving relationship. And that's why knowing God matters. And so if, you, if we change the narrative and realize that the story of God is about what God does for you, not what you do for God, then when, when you realize that, and this to me is mind-blowingly beautiful, if you realize that, then all of the experiences that have brought you to this point, the late night studying, staying up for that work call, commuting hours on the train, the vision and the focus that you had to achieve those goals, all of these experiences, all of these memories, and all of these ongoing daily lived experiences can become not examples of what you need to do in order to please God, but examples and reminders every day of what God is doing to be in relationship with you. Through your experiences, you can know how earnestly and tirelessly God is working to make a relationship with you possible. This is the difference between an idol and a true God. This is the difference between moralism and relational faith. This is the difference between second-guessed, draining religion and focused, energized, visionary hope, like we see in Hebrews 12, 2, where the author writes about how Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. And so you might find yourself today here in this place, always searching for the right answer, always trying to be the top 1% to God, hiding every flaw, plagued by moral OCD, and whatever it is we're celebrating today is a nice positive little thing that doesn't actually change anything in the grand scheme of things. But what could be happening right now is that this celebration of graduation or of promotion or whatever good thing might be happening in your life right now, this celebration of it could be a reminder of what God is doing for you on your behalf. Today is not only your graduation from college. Today is God's graduation to a new level of support in your life as you understand it and see it. And today can be a glorious, meaningful milestone in a life of peace and joy in God. And so as we skim back through these verses again, we're reminded of these different malfunctions, but then we're also reminded of the alternative. Verses 29 to 31, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When you're malfunctioning, that judgment is scary. 
because you think you are the center of the story and that judgment is coming for you. But when you are free of that mindset and recognize that the gospel is all about what God is doing for you on your behalf, then this is a beautiful message of justice for the entire universe when God is making everything right. You're no longer going to struggle with moral OCD. You're going to be in a place of freedom and anticipation of that time when everything is made right. In verses 26 through 28, we see from one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And, the, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so instead of reading this and having this malfunction feeling that I need to hide myself, we can realize that we are in a place where God can, is so close to us that we can approach God with anything. Nothing needs to be hidden. Nothing needs to be uh, 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 denied or pretended like it doesn't exist. Pretended? <laughs> we don't need to pretend like nothing bad exists because God already knows it all and still God is working on your behalf. In verses 24 to 25, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He isn't served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And instead of being worried because this verse is telling me that I have nothing to contribute, and so somehow I have to get to this top 1% to be the most highest performing Christian out there, I can realize and take comfort in this that God is providing for me. God is doing things on my behalf and it does not depend. My health, my safety, my security, my relationship does not depend on what I do for God. And finally, in verses 22 to 23, we read that Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. When we read that in a malfunctioning mindset, we get scared because it tells us we don't have the right answer and we need to find it. But if you read this, knowing that God is working on your behalf and the story of God is about what God does for you, not what you do for God, then it's okay because you will know in time. And maybe you don't have all of the answers right now. Maybe there are still elements of God that are unknown to you. But in time, you will know God. And as you empathize, you will get one step closer to that as well. The story is about God and what God does for you. Right now, you might be graduating and you're still gonna keep working hard. You're still gonna keep, if you're going to a grad program, you're still keep studying hard. If you're going into work, you're gonna keep on 
uh, or you're going to start working those long hours. But now, every day, when you go into work, you find a representation of how God is going into work for you. You might be here in New York, not graduating, but living your life, working hard, trying to be in that top 1% in your career or whatever it is. You'll be commuting on the train every day. But now, every train ride is a reminder that God is patient with you. You might still be staying up late on Zoom calls, those work-from-home meetings that feel inescapable. But now, every Zoom appointment in your life confirms to you once again that God goes the distance on your behalf. When you realize that the story of God is a story of what God is doing for you and not what you are doing for God, then every moment in your life, every day-to-day -day work, task, school assignment, whatever it is, can be a reminder of the dedication, the devotion, the adoration that God has for you. Not proving your worth, but proving God's love. Not justifying yourself, but justifying Christ's belief in you. Not living in insecurity, but learning and relearning at every single encounter that God is orchestrating everything in order to make a way to be with you. When you understand that the story of God is about what God does for you and not what you do for God, if you can understand that, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And so right now, I just want to ask, where in your life are you tempted to apply the skills, the character, the perseverance that has brought you success up to where you are right now, and to use it as an example of what you need to do? And I want to give you the opportunity right now, whatever that is, to just realize that actually you don't have to do that. Because that feeling, that memory, that experience, that's actually what God is doing for you. That feeling you're experiencing can be a way of knowing God better. And when you know God in this way, God will set you free.